What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. This is TAPS Paramagazine Radio on CNY Talk Radio. Well, apparently our Bigfoot uh, expert has been uh, abducted by Bigfoot. Or maybe it, it happens. Okay. He, that's what happens when you mess with Sasquatch. But, uh, <laughs> if I learn anything from the uh, beef jerky commercials, that's it. Do not mess yeah. with Sasquatch. Yeah. But fortunately, we have these fine folks here, the uh, members of Paracuse, uh, local uh, paranormal investigative group. We were talking during the break, some really in- interesting conversation. Anyway, you were talking about places that you really want to investigate. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit. You, you threw some places out. Let's talk about them. Rolling Hills. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would love to get yeah. in there. Rolling Hills. I, I do have to say, like, you know, when I do the events and I go to colleges and stuff, people ask me specifically, what's your favorite haunted place? And it's Rolling Hills. If you're going to go for an experience, that's the place to go. Jim, you, Jim, you remember going mm-hmm. back, you know, mm-hmm. back years ago, you know. My go- very first event was at Rolling yeah. Hills, and I had some of the most phenomenal experiences there. Yeah. And that was just amazing just because I think at, at that time it was so kind of fresh and new, too, that – you know, you just didn't expect this stuff to happen. And then when you keep going back and it does, it's like it's not supposed to be like this. Yeah. So, you know, Rolling Hills is definitely that's and it's so close. It's only two hours from yeah. us. You know, no, it's just yeah. it's just one of those places you have to go. Well worth the money. Just, you know, yeah, you know, make a night of it. Make sure you go when it's warm. You know, this time of year is kind of brutal. Yeah. Sure. You know, even as newcomers, I think we've already learned that, that the more that you go to a place, it's almost that you uncover new evidence. For example, we had spent the night at the Iron Island Museum. We were welcomed there with open arms. They have a wonderful staff, and um, everything there, they had showed us past evidence, and things were just right on the money. They just boom, 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 kept happening. And whether it be live, I mean, EVPs in real time, it was amazing. It was Mm -hmm. amazing. You know, and they had said every time they come back, it's almost as if, you know, they get used to you. you Uh, It's almost like they're grateful. Mm -hmm. You almost kind of get that, you know, like Rolling Hills, you get that impression that, you know, if you think about their lives, nobody visited them in their lives, and this is the first time they specifically come to be, you know, visited, Mm -hmm. and I think they appreciate that. And yeah. they kind of pay it back. You know, they pay for it. Hey, you want to get scared? I'll give you scared, you know. Yeah. Bring it on. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, we're going we're gonna to go to our phones. We have a very special phone caller, somebody you may know, a gentleman by the name of Scott Clark. Scott, thanks oh. for calling in and joining us on the radio program. Well, thanks for having me. So, uh, so, so, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, okay, just checking it. We're making sure we're technically capable. We've got a lot of people in this studio and uh, only so many pairs of headphones. But anyway, we were just having a great conversation with some of the members of your group, and we were uh, told a very brief story or a shortened version of the story of how you founded the group. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that if you have the time? Sure. Um, but if I have to run, I'm at work. I don't know if the guys told you that I work as a fireman. And uh, so I'm out in my truck right now because none of the radios work in the firehouse. And uh, so listening to your show, by the way, and I'm proud of my team. You guys are awesome. And uh, But the way I look at it, too, is it's not my team. It's our team. Uh, we, we all work together. We're a family. And uh, I'm very proud of the industry. But, uh, uh, the group, we founded about, uh, about three years ago. Uh, it came from another uh, area paranormal group uh, with a couple other people, and uh, we were not happy with the way things were being operated in that particular group. So the, uh, the group manager there told us, if you don't like it, start your own team. So we did. And uh, then from there, we just hit the ground running. But uh, we never thought that we would uh, come to the level that we have today. Um, we, uh, we average probably anywhere from uh, four to six investigations a month. Um, depending on the, uh, the level of that investigation, we may go back to those places two or three times, which we have done. We have continuing clients only because of the level of activity and what we're trying to find out that's there. Um, let's see, what else do you want to know about our team? Uh, you, uh, you, you mentioned uh, how you got started. You were part of a number group, num- a different group. How did yeah. you get involved in the first group? I mean, what led you to uh, get into this line of, uh, let's call it a hobby, if nothing else? 1992, June 1st, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, Little Round Top, Gettysburg. Never forget it. 
I was down there. Uh, Robert E. Lee's in my family tree, so I was down there. I wanted to see where he got beat up. And um, we're down there getting a tour, and what I thought was a reenactor appeared in front of me and then dissipated. And I just could not put my head around what I just saw. And when the tour guide came up to me and he said, is he all right? And I said, yeah, I go, where'd the reenactor go? And the only way I can describe it to people, unless he fell through a trap door in the ground, I don't know how he got away from us. And he described this thing perfectly. And he talked about the gray beard, the sweaty hat, the dirty shirt, the musket, the brown pants. And I said, yeah. And he goes, no, you want to you to see it. And he goes, you would. <laughs> And, you know, I didn't believe either way back then. But uh, ever since then, I've been on the quest. And, uh, no different than, like, what uh, Jeanette and Sharon shared with you about mm-hmm. their uh, ghost stories when they were kids. You know, I mean, this this happened to me, and I've always wondered, you know. I think uh, Aaron, Stacy, and I just actually got back from Gettysburg. There was an yeah. event, Phenomenology, and I, ha- I wish we could do a tally, and a, a study to determine how many people have had experiences on or around the Gettysburg battlefield, and how many of those experiences have led people into paranormal enthusiasts? Well, yeah, we actually spoke with um, Barry Kling, and uh, that's that's where he... Brad, Brad sorry. Mm-hmm. And um, I sometimes get him confused because of the goatee. The yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the Klings. Um, but they uh, that's what the beginning of their paranormal experience as well. And just this weekend at Phenomenology, I spoke to so many people that said, it began here for mm-hmm. me. This is where the experience began, and then... They were on a quest, much like uh, Scott said. Yeah, I, I know personally, like, uh, as far as the group goes, you know, people say, you know, have you ever run from something? And I said, you know, the only time we ever ran screaming like girls was at Gettysburg. You know, never before, never since it was at Gettysburg at Saxbridge and, you know. Uh, I can relate to that. I didn't uh, go running screaming, but uh, I laid that night in the oh, hotel staring at the ceiling. and I could tell you every child's name. I mean, I just could not go to sleep. It was just... Um, um, it really stuck with me for a while, but uh, you know I never gave up and trying to figure out how to get into this. And then there was this show that came on TV back years ago. There, it's called. Uh, you probably heard of the Ghost Hunters. Uh, and uh, it kind of no, gave me an idea so. of what it is I needed to do. You know, I used to, I had the, the old tape recorder and I was trying to do things. And the funny thing was, the house that I lived in had a haunting in it too mm-hmm. and um but it was a residual type haunting and of course i didn't know the difference back then and uh i actually got to through you know the process of investigating doing the history of the house i was able to find out exactly what it was and uh it was interesting and because everything that i was seeing in my actually my cat would react to the same thing that i was seeing and uh and then that's how i knew that uh, you know i really did have something and it, you know, it, it unnerved me at times, but uh, I got comfortable with it. And, um, you know, it just, even today, I mean, we, we've, our team has experienced some pretty wild things, things that we just cannot explain away. And uh, but everybody handles it like a trooper. I, I, to this, you know, I, I don't get scared, but I get stuff that startles me, that's for sure. Yeah, a lot of ghost hunters, including uh, the ghost hunters, Jason and Grant, they'll say, we don't get scared, but, you know, sometimes they do get startled. You know, you just don't expect to see what you just saw. Um, yep. Scott, you, you have on, on your website, you've got a, a mission statement, um, but maybe in, in your words, tell us what, you know, what your group is there to do for people who need help. Well, we're going to help you come up with an answer to what it is. We're going to help you validate uh, whatever it is that you're experiencing. Or what we're going to try to do is give you a peace of mind. We're going to come in and we're going to use the, our, our knowledge and our equipment to the best of our ability to try to really figure out what is going on. And if it, we're not going to just come in and do a three, four-hour investigation and call it good, we may come back to you several different times. Um, and the way I, I explain it to people when they do join our group and when we do train them is that, uh, you know, you may do an investigation there for four or five hours, but you're going to, or even up to, we've been placed at 10, 12 hours. You're going to redo that investigation over and over and over again. And then with all the uh, historical research and what have you, um, we're going to come to a, a conclusion. And uh, whether that conclusion is something that um, is favorable or unfavorable to the client or whether they want to believe it or not, because we've had clients that uh, we've had problems with. Um, 
we're going to just give you the best possible uh, answer that you can. Be some paranormal <laughs> interference right now. <laughs> There's some fire department EVPs. We know you're. Sure, if the radio was on, I know it's on now. <laughs> Scott, you, you, but, uh, when when you what what's more often than not the the outcome that the client is looking for? Do they do they tend to want to believe it's haunted, or are they looking to hope it's not? I mean, what do you usually find? Every time I get a phone call or every email I get, it always starts off with the same sentence. You're going to think I'm crazy. And we're like, okay. And that's where we start. You know, we, we want people, you know, we're going to go, we come in with an open mind. And we're not there to disprove it. We're not there to prove it. We're just there to do our job. And whatever lands in our lap, we're going to deal with. We, you know, we have some people on our team that are very good at debunking. So what they do is they'll go through, and then, you know, they figure that out. But um, we will then take whatever it is, the evidence that we got, and we're going to present it to them. And then we're going to stay with them so that, you know, just don't dump it on them. So, okay, well, you got a haunting, you know, or you got a, a paranormal activity. We're going to teach them how to deal with it. Or we also do a thing. We do house clearing. Uh, we'll go through and uh, we'll do a prayer service throughout a home and uh, to declare it of any negative energy and to um, you want, uh, hopefully they can move on. And I'm getting a rescue call right at the moment, so I'm going to have to go. But it was great talking to you guys and uh, have fun. All right, you go, you go to work, Scott. We appreciate okay. we appreciate you calling in. Well, that was that was your uh, your founder. Um, kind of uh, surprised us all there, but we really appreciate him calling. It seems like he's uh, he's really got a good handle on what uh, you guys are setting out to do. Absolutely. So we were talking a little bit about uh, places that you wanted to investigate. We we had a good conversation about uh, Rolling Hills. What are some other things that come to mind? I would say penitentiaries. Yeah, love penitentiaries. Penitentiaries. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Why? I think just knowing what could have gone on there, what might have happened, whether it be torture or just, you yeah, know. the history of it. Absolutely, you know, yeah. The, the violence and the, you know, it has to have some type of residual Energy. something. Yeah. yeah. All right, well, we're going to go to break. Uh, you guys are sticking around for a while. We'll be able to talk a little bit more a little, little later in the program. We do have Eric Altman uh, waiting uh, to come onto the program and talk a little bit about uh, Bigfoot as director of the Pennsylvania Bigfoot Society. You're listening to Taps Paramagazine Radio on CNY Talk Radio. Now, more Taps Paramagazine Radio on CNY Talk Radio. Welcome back to the program. You're listening to Taps Pair Magazine Radio on CNY Talk Radio. This is your weekly broadcast into Things Unknown, brought to you by the Atlantic Paranormal Society, Taps Pair Magazine, and the Leatherstocking Media Group, and heard exclusively on the CNY Talk Radio Network. I'm your host, J.V. Johnson, along with Aaron Sagers and Stacy Jones. Our telephone number is 315-421-9325. That's 315-421-9325. And our email address, if you'd like to email a question or just a comment, is radio at tapsparamag.com. Joining us on the phone is our guest for this hour. It's Eric Altman. Eric is director of the Pennsylvania Bigfoot Society. I had the pleasure of meeting Eric um, at Phenomenology in Gettysburg, as we all did. Yeah, he Eric, was a cool guy. He really was. Eric, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks, guys. Uh, i got to apologize for being a little late. I just got in the door from another conference I was speaking at tonight. No problem. We're just anxious to talk to you. That's that's yeah, a we thing. Kinda, we kind of thought maybe Bigfoot got you. <laughs> he showed up and uh, yeah. collected you. I could be so lucky. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> Eric, Eric, tell us a little bit. Let's start at the beginning. How did you get involved with this? Oh, my beginnings in uh, Sasquatch research uh, started back in 1980 when I was 10 years old. Um, I was hooked on those uh, really bad science fiction movies we all know about, the, you know, like the spider that attacked New York or the giant lizard from under the sea, those kind of really bad movies. And there was two in particular that uh, really got me inspired, and that was Legend of Boggy Creek and uh, <laughs> oh, The yeah. Creature from Black Lake. And uh, after seeing those two movies, I was just absolutely hooked on the possibility of some kind of uh, wild man or a Bigfoot kind of creature running around in the swamps of Louisiana and Arkansas. And uh, from there, it just went downhill. <laughs> and so you, you, you had a taste of it at that point as a child. And, uh, you know, what types of things did you do between that point and becoming the director of the uh, Pennsylvania Bigfoot Society that, that maybe gave you the background to feel like that, that this is an appropriate course for you? I spent a lot of my uh, 
childhood years and teenage years reading and educating myself on the subject, um, anything I could get my hands on that was paranormal-related, whether it was Bigfoot or UFOs, hauntings, anything at all, cryptozoology, I, I studied. I read as much as I could just to kind of learn about what all was going on in the world around us that really wasn't known. And uh, I studied that for, gosh, a, a good 15 maybe 16 years before I decided to get into actual field research and start going out and investigating these reports that uh, people were submitting about seeing a Bigfoot or a Sasquatch creature. You know, it's funny, in the, in the several interviews that we've done on this program, we, we ask, tend to ask the same question, how'd you get started in this? And I have yet to hear anybody say the In Search Of programs with Leonard you Nimoy know, brought them in. But I remember I the remember Sasquatch episode yeah. very vividly. Did, did you see that? And the, did He might those be a little of, young for that, though. Did those types of programs have any influence on, on uh, what you're doing now? Oh, sure it did. Yeah, I, I remember the Leonard Nimoy episode. They had, I believe, three or four of them that were specifically related to Bigfoot. Um, one was the uh, Honey Island Swamp Monster that uh, Harlan Ford was in. Um, another was uh, Bigfoot itself. And they had one on the abominable snowman or the Yeti. And I remember those specifically because they, they gave me nightmares when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> and within the P- Bigfoot uh, Pennsylvania Bigfoot Society, um, do you go out on investigations? And if so, uh, give us just a, a little bit of a picture of how that how that, what that process is like and how it may vary from um, the ghost hunting that we see on TV. Well, what we do is is we when we receive a report, it's usually through our website, uh, through a phone call, a letter, um, something along those lines, an email notifying us that that a person had a sighting. And if we get a website submission or uh, a phone call, what we try to do is get is gather as much information as possible about. Uh, what they saw, where they saw it, uh, time of day, weather, um, surroundings, um, the environment, that kind of thing, so we can get a, a feel of exactly what the person was doing, where they were at, what was going on outside. Uh, we usually talk to the witness, try to talk to the witness first by phone to get a feel for, for that person. Um, and you can learn a lot by listening to a person's story. You know, If it's a wild and crazy story, chances are it may not be legitimate. Um, once we do talk to them and we get a feel for that person, we try to ask them, you know, meet us in person. We'd like to meet you face-to-face because we can learn a lot from body language, from eye contact, you know, how serious they are about what they saw. Um, usually when you do meet somebody and they've had a, a close encounter with a Sasquatch or a Bigfoot, they have a lot of emotions they're, they're dealing with. And uh, from there, we gather as much information from face-to-face. We, we try to encourage the witness to return to the sighting location where they have their experience. Some do, some don't, but the ones that do, they, they usually take us right to where they, they were at. And uh, from there, we try to search for evidence, um, see if there's anything legitimate that indicates a large creature was moving through the area or they saw what they claim they saw. And uh, if we do find anything that uh, warrants further investigation, um, we send a small team out to uh, really check out the area, kind of observe it, continue to watch the area, look for signs of evidence, tracks, uh, possible hair samples, fecal matter, uh, anything that we can collect to turn over to the scientific community for them to study and, and make analyzations from it. And have you picked up any of that evidence, like fecal matter, uh, you know, <laughs> hair? I mean, is that is that something that you have collected and, and passed along? Like in Pennsylvania? Yeah. As wow. a matter of fact, we have. We've collected uh, several footprints. Uh, we made castings of several footprints. Uh, we had... Uh, in October of 2009, we had uh, their very fortunate. Um, uh, we had a very fortunate experience to, ca- to, to collect um, about 10 to 12 strands of long, dark brownish, almost a blackish colored hair that were on uh, some bro- broken pine trees in central Pennsylvania, in a, a, a mountainous area that we were continually researching because of sightings and, and experiences people were claiming. Um, that's currently in the possession of a wildlife biologist, and he's doing microscopic tests on it right now. If he can make the determination that it doesn't match any known species or uh, replicate any, anything known, then he's going to pass it on to uh, some other researchers who are going to do some DNA testing for us. So Now, Eric, it, so, uh, sorry to interrupt. Um, I have a question. The, the Patterson film. Now, what is your opinion on that? You know, uh, it, it kind of goes back and forth that people believe that it's real, and then they're saying, no, that it's fake, and, you know, Patterson himself was making a movie and hired this person. What do you think about that? Well, 
that's a great point, and, and I'm kind of I, – I used to be a firm believer that it was a real thing, a, a legitimate Sasquatch creature. But the more I'm, I'm – the longer I'm in this and the more I hear about this film and the, the, both the positive and the negative side of things, you know, you really have to wonder, is it truly a legitimate film? Because they haven't been able to, to prove it is 100%. But, again, they haven't been able to prove it isn't. So I'm kind of on the fence on it. Um, we just need more data and more evidence. Unfortunately, Roger passed away back in 1973, so we don't have Roger to talk to anymore. But we still have Bob Gimlin, who was uh, at the studying location. I've spoken with him several times about the, the film. I believe he saw what he saw. I have no doubt about that. Whether or not it was a man in a suit or you know, Roger set up something to hoax, Bob, it's hard to say. Um, we really don't know because, unfortunately, we don't have the suit. We don't uh, we don't have uh, concrete proof proof to say that you know Roger did fake this, but uh, it's it, like I said it's controversial. Um, some folks say yeah it was Bob Hieronymus in a suit that, that faked it. Um, other people say no it's the real thing. So then, what's the most compelling piece of evidence that you truly believe in uh, that you've seen out there? I'd have to say the sighting reports, the witness sighting reports. Um, these are common people uh, from all different backgrounds. These, are, these aren't people who are looking for fame or fortune you know, to get a name for themselves. These are people who come from all backgrounds, all walks of life, uh, a variety of uh, races, cultures, creeds. You know, they've all seen something, and they all describe very similar the same type of being or creature that they've seen. And as I explained earlier, usually you can tell a lot by a person's emotions when you meet them in person. I've seen people get goosebumps when they retell their story or their, their sighting. I've seen people well up and, and cry, break down and cry. I've had people that refuse to go back to that area because they're so terrified of what they experience. Um, I'd have to say the eyewitness sightings is the most compelling to me. Now, last summer, I, I believe it was last summer, there was the reports of, in West Virginia, the albino uh, Sasquatch. Um, I don't, and, it, and it made the news, and it was... Uh, being talked about quite a bit, and it was it was pretty comical, um, but you know it, it was a sighting. Do you remember that? And what was your take on that? Actually, I don't recall that report coming in. Um, I, I don't, yeah, I don't recall hearing about that one. That's right. pretty interesting because uh, we do get reports of grayish colored creatures, uh, almost like a salt and pepper type of hair coloring, which could be an elder creature. You know, it could be you know, like we all have different. Uh, colored hair, you know, different uh, textured skin. That could be, a, a, you know, what the creature is. But I've never heard of an albino Bigfoot creature. That's interesting. Yeah, it, I believe it was last summer, and it was definitely West Virginia. I swear, guys, I am not making this up on the spot <laughs> I, just I, to stump Eric. I actually thought I heard that it was somebody did fess up that that was somebody in a suit. That's what I oh, thought. Oh, really? That's what I thought, yeah. Well, you know, how about that, Eric? I mean, the fact that, you know, these th reports come about, and then many of them are debunked, I mean, do you, that's got to be damaging to what you do when someone you know, think says— Think about the guys in Georgia. Yeah, they find a corpse, mm -hmm. and then it ends up being a complete hoax. How much does that set back what you do? Uh, not really. Um, we've dealt with it for decades. Uh, and you're always going to have people hoaxing. No matter what field you're studying, whether it's UFO or, or uh, hauntings, you know, you're always going to have somebody trying to hoax something to get their, their fame. And it really doesn't damage us because it's almost expected— People know that there are hoaxers out there. Um, what we have to do as field investigators and as researchers is work even harder to collect more conclusive evidence to prove that beyond a shadow of a doubt this creature is real and it's not just somebody running around in a suit. So it's challenging in that aspect. Eric, we're gonna, we have to quickly run to a break here, but we'll be right back. We'll talk more about this. You're listening to Taps Paramagazine Radio. The following program was previously recorded. We regret we'll be unable to accept your phone calls, but we invite you to participate during the next live broadcast of this program. The following is a CNY Talk Radio presentation. This is Taps Paramagazine Radio. Taps Paramagazine Radio. Here are your hosts, J.V. Johnson and Aaron Sagers.
And of course, joined by Stacy Jones. Our telephone number is 315-421-9325. Our email address is radio at tapsparamag.com. Coming up a little later this hour, we'll be rejoined with uh, members of the local paranormal group Paracuse, and we'll talk a little bit more to them about their experiences in the Syracuse area as they uh, as they hunt down the paranormal. But right now, our guest is Eric Altman, director of the Pennsylvania Bigfoot Society. We thank you, Eric, for, uh, first of all, for joining us, but uh, holding over through the break and, and giving us a little bit more of your time. I know, I know with all the conferences and the, and the events and the, and the work that you have to do, uh, time is a valuable commodity. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Eric, you know, I, I'm curious, uh, we were talking a little bit in the break about the Yeti, supposedly Yeti footprint that was collected by Josh Gates on Destination Truth. I believe it was, that was in 2007. It is now on display at the uh, Himalayan Adventure Ride at uh, Walt Disney World's um, Animal Kingdom. Have you, are you familiar with that case, and, and what is your take on, on that piece of evidence? Yeah, I am familiar with uh, the, the track that he found, and uh, I've been to the Animal Kingdom. I've, I've seen it on display twice. I have pictures of it. Um, it's too large to be a Yeti track. Um, I'm not even sure exactly what it is, but in my opinion, it, it's just too large. A, a track that size would have to be at least a creature 15 to 20 feet in height, maybe weighing two, 3,000 pounds. The, the track is just enormous. Um, I'm, I'm guessing that it's par- probably a track and probably a partial track of uh, like a, a rhinoceros um, is what I'm thinking it is. And there was some talk a while back from uh, in the crypto field that that's what they believed it was, but we don't know that for certain. Um, it, it's possible it could be anything. That's just my take on it. Okay. And... Um... You know, uh, moving on from that, well, what's going on lately within the, you know, the the Bigfoot realm? Is there any news that you can you would want to talk about, like any recent sightings? I, I've heard about one in Butler County, Pennsylvania, which is um, your neck of the woods, right? Yeah, that's it's probably about a 45-minute drive, an hour drive away from me. And the, the report that came out of Butler just this past week really isn't a Sasquatch report or Bigfoot report some kind of strange winged entity report. Um, the gentleman who saw it um, reported to Stan Gordon, he's uh, one of the local researchers in the Pennsylvania area, that he, he witnessed a tall bipedal figure that was covered in, in leathery skin. Uh, he didn't see any fur or hair on it, which is atypical you know, of a Bigfoot sighting. Usually they, they're covered with the hair. Um, but he saw something that was leathery skinned, um, it had wings tucked on the back of it, almost like uh, real close to the center of its back, pointed ears, long hanging arms that he said he saw claws on it. And uh, talking with some other investigators, that's a matter of fact, I was just at a paranormal conference in Butler today and talking with other investigators who work in that area. They've told me that they've talked to neighbors, and neighbors have said they've seen something around that area. So we're going to be conducting an investigation this coming weekend in that area trying to find any additional evidence or see if this thing's still around. So is it the Mothman? Is it the Jersey Devil? What do you, what do you think that might be? I really don't know. Um, it's not nothing like I've ever heard. The Mothman I've, I've studied and, and learned about doesn't even resemble what this thing looks like. Um, the Mothman is said to have eyes actually in its chest. There's really not a head to the Mothman. It has big wingspan to it. Um, some even say it looks like a giant owl. But this thing, they, this guy swears it was very human-looking, but had leathery skin on it, wings, pointed ears. He wasn't even certain what it was until he almost you know, came right up on top of it. And it's an interesting case, nothing like I've really ever heard of. Um, but talking with other researchers, apparently the, the folks that live in that area have experienced it or have seen this thing around for a while now. And in Eric, you're going to be investigating this, you said, soon? Yes, this coming weekend. Uh, I just made arrangements with some of the local investigators in that area to take a trip up there and spend a, a couple nights out in the woods in, in that area where the gentleman had his sighting to see if we can either see what this thing is, hopefully it comes back around, or we can maybe find some trace evidence, some tracks, or um, some 
sign that something big's been in the area. But we certainly hope you'll you'll share your results with us because that that's a really sure. interesting story, and it's obviously it's happening now, so it makes it even more interesting. What, what kind of investigators are you bringing, Eric? Well, um, the investigators that, that are in that area, they are paranormal investigators. They do a little bit of everything okay. from crypto to UFO to hauntings and, and uh, ghost stories and stuff like that. They do a little bit of everything. And uh, they're actually a group called the Butler Organization for Researching the Unexplained. Uh, they're very familiar with the, the case, and they're very familiar with the area, and they asked me to come uh, and assist them with it. So I'm going to help out. And you're going to camp outside and look for this? Yeah, wow. probably, depending on the weather, <laughs> if it uh, cooperates. I give you credit. I give you credit. <laughs> this is the thing that cracks me up, is uh, Stacy goes out and, and looks around in, in haunted locations and has encountered some crazy stuff, and she's freaked out by the guy that goes and looks for her. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm not going to lie. Aliens, Bigfoot, and the Burger King guy are the three things I just don't want to meet. But you'll I, take and ghosts. And I'm not lying, <laughs> you know? Well, I'll, I'll you come out in the woods with me one time and we go out on a, a, a nighttime observation. You'll see it's really not that scary. Yeah, as long as I got my car to go into, I'll be okay. <laughs> You're listening to Taps Paramagazine Radio. We're going to join Eric uh, again right after the break. We'll talk about another recent sighting uh, in the news and uh, get Eric's take on that. This is Taps Paramagazine Radio on CNY Talk Radio. This is Taps Paramagazine Radio. Taps Paramagazine Radio on CNY Talk Radio. Welcome back to the program. Our telephone number is 315-421-9325, our email address. And we encourage you to send an email. If you've got a question and you'd rather not call, send an email. We'll answer it in a future show. It's uh, radio at tapsparamag.com. That's radio at tapsparamag.com. I'm J.V. Johnson, along with Aaron Sagers and Stacy Jones. And our guest uh, continues to be this hour, Eric Altman, director of the Pennsylvania Bigfoot Society. Eric, again, thanks for joining us. We really do appreciate it. Eric, I saw this news bit on Weekly World News. I know this is the yes. second second time yes. I've brought up Weekly World News uh, this week. That is week, some but... legitimate journalism there, Eric. <laughs> I know. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> but there was supposedly a Bigfoot video caught in uh, in North Carolina um, uh, of a figure standing seven foot tall and waving his hairy arms in the air, so says Weekly World News. Uh, what's your take on that? Do you know what I'm talking about, and, and what's your take? Yeah, it's a hoax. <laughs> yeah, shot was, down like that yeah it was filmed in north carolina um you can see the baggy legs on the costume it waves at the cameras it walks across the road it's blurry it, it's a hoax so you're saying bigfoot is is more camera shy it's not like it's not craving its 15 minutes of fame <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Eric, did, yeah, that, that's a really bad video. Eric, did you see the video of the family that was doing the target practice and and the the Bigfoot came out of the bushes in the back? Yes, were, I did see that. Okay, what do you think of that? I, what I found interesting on that is that it actually started to use all fours as it ran ran away. It's an interesting video, but you can't draw any conclusions from it because the, whatever is in the background that moves from left to right, it's too far out of the uh, the range of really the range of focus and getting a good look yeah. at what it is. It's just something fleeting. It could be any anything. Somebody in a costume. Uh, it could be a person in a dark outfit running from left to right. It could be anything. Yeah. If you want to see the video, you could go on uh, paranormal at about dot com and it's it's on that one. There's actually another uh, video that I just <laughs> want to throw out there, which is not in any way, shape, or form like good evidence, but it is called i think like the birthing process of the sasquatch and it was it was it was put out on the film festival circuit and it's and it's really kind of gross and somewhat disturbing but uh compelling uh, first off i don't have you seen that uh eric no no i haven't it's it's worth checking out but i i do want to ask you know because there's so many different variations of bigfoot sasquatch you know um you know what are some of the more interesting ones you've heard of and what's your take about things like, I don't know, the wild man of the Navidad? You know, I've heard of that one. Um, what's your take on, on these different variations? Well, that's a great question. I think a lot of it has to do with uh, the environment where it's at, um, the culture where it's at. Um, there's a lot, of, a lot of different types of creatures being reported from around, not just around the country, around the world. And I think a lot of it has to do with the, 
the, the culture that's in that particular area, um, the environment, both geological and uh, people environment, you know, who, who live in that area, what their the culture is, what they they grown up they've grown up on, if they're conservative, if they're more liberal, you know, what their thinking is, because um, there's reports in the Pacific Northwest where they see these gentle giants that are more elusive, more shy that. that really don't want to bother with people. They're just fleeting glimpses seen of them in the woods. Here in the East Coast, um, they're described as being a little more aggressive, um, not as elusive where, you know, they, they quickly run off. They're in the area a little longer. In the South, they're also known as maybe a little more aggressive than um, they are in, in the Pacific Northwest. So I think it really depends on the area where they're at. The climate has a lot to do with it and the, the, the geography. Uh, you know, if you've got a swampland area, these things may be more aggressive because they have to, um, to be to survive. They need to have that animal instinct to, to get food. It's not as abundant as it would be, let's say, in the Pacific Northwest where you have a lot of vegetation, a lot of rainfall. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with the different areas. Uh, we were talking a little bit about a, um, a nature documentary, a Canadian nature documentary, where they thought that they had captured... Um, you know, uh, a Sasquatch getting up and, and running out of the frame while what was really trying to be captured was a group of antelope uh, running by. That was eventually uh, debunked. Um, but have you ever thought about looking back at all of these nature documentaries that are out there and saying, hey, you know what, I wonder if maybe in the background there could be anything worth checking out? I have not seen anything or heard of anything. And usually... Um, the researchers in our field are really, they pay a lot of attention to stuff like that. If they see something that looks out of the ordinary, they're going to bring it to the forefront for everybody to take a look at. And what I think is actually kind of comical is we are so, um, what's the word I'm looking for? We are so adamant about debunking things than we are proving things. Right? We want to make sure that we can rule out every possibility before we come forward and say this is what we think it is. Uh, it's amazing to hear some of these researchers that go to the ends of the earth, literally, to, to prove that this thing really isn't what everybody's saying it is. And uh, I have not seen any nature films that really jump out at me that you know maybe there might be something in the background. Um, there's been a couple along the way that you know I've heard of, but uh, the one with the uh, the elk, or I think it was the elk or the antelope that they were um, filming. I can't remember exactly what animals, but I remember it was a herd of animals that crossed a, a river, and all of a sudden you see this figure kind of pop up from behind a hillside and then right. disappear out of the frame. And, yeah, that was debunked. I believe one of the photography crew or the film crew that was uh, in the background that was in a scene that shouldn't have been. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, um, yeah, I've heard of stuff like that happening before, but I really don't pay much attention to it because, as I explained about the film with the, the family target shooting, unless you get a real close look at this thing and you can see details, it, and it's doing something that's not something a human could do. To me, it's just a, it's another piece of film. Yeah, I, I want to throw a two-part question at you. Um, first off, what do you think is the biggest difference between um, you know ghost hunters and and uh, you know UFO hunters, and then and then what you do, and then on top of that. How does someone get started in this? You know, if someone's like, yeah, you know, what, I, I want to be a, uh, you know, a crypto hunter. How do they get started? What kind of equipment should they get? Well, to be a crypto hunter, probably the best thing, best advice I can offer is to educate yourself on it. Uh, there's an abundance of material out there, uh, books, uh, magazine articles, newspaper articles, uh, papers that other researchers have written. Um, there's a lot of information on the Internet. Before you go running off in the woods chasing the Jersey Devil or the Mothman, learn about it. Read about what's out there, what you may encounter. Uh, another thing you can do is familiarize yourself with the area, what wildlife is in the area, um, what kind of terrain you're going to deal with. Is it a flooded area that, you know, when it rains, it floods out? So you're better prepared when you go out in the woods. Educate yourself first before going out. And if you can, find someone in the area that's already doing that kind of research, that has some experience, that wouldn't mind having you tag along for a couple of trips out in the woods so you can learn from that person what they're doing. Uh, that's what would be my best advice as far as getting into cryptid research or any kind of research for that matter. Um, uh, as far as what we do differently from ghost hunters and UFO hunters, um, it's pretty much the same protocol. You know, we, 
we're out there to try to collect evidence if possible. And some of the tools we use are, are you know, similar. We use 35-millimeter camera, digital camera. We use uh, high-def uh, recording devices like you know, camcorders if we can. Uh, we use game cam, uh, the trap cameras that you can put out there by Bushnell or um, you know, Reconyx has a great game camera you can put out there. Uh, we use night vision equipment. Um, I know there's ghost hunters that use night vision equipment when they go into homes or locations to hunt. Um, the only thing that's different between us and UFO researchers, UFO researchers really can't gauge what was seen in the sky because 99.9% .9 of the time, if someone sees something, the odds that it's going to be there <laughs> are you know, pretty slim. Um, with a Bigfoot, at least there might be some trace evidence left behind, like footprints, like I said earlier, fecal matter, possible hair strands. So we have a pretty good chance of, if we are able to find evidence, finding it. The UFO investigator, all they can do is look at the sky and hope this thing comes back again. Um, most of the ghost hunters that are out there that are doing the research, they have, they have a pretty good chance of getting better evidence than we do because it's usually something that's still in that same location or that, that same area. So it's, it's very similar what we do, the protocol and some of the equipment that we do, but there are some slight variations. Before I met you, Eric, I, I, I didn't really know much about Bigfoot in Pennsylvania. Before I heard about the Pennsylvania Bigfoot Society, I never really made the connection um, of Bigfoot in PA. Uh, you know, so is that, is it a real hotbed there? Is this, is this one of the, um, you know, the, the hotspots that not many people know about with, with Bigfoot? Or where do you think is, you know, most likely the, the place where we could go and find Sasquatch? Well, the, the eastern United States, surprising to a lot of folks, is fairly active with, with uh, reports. Um, here in Pennsylvania, our history of, of the first documented report goes back to 1837. And uh, since that day, there's been people reporting Sasquatch you know, activities, sightings, encounters. Um, you know, every year we get reports. Um, some are busier than others. Um, Ohio, southern, southeastern Ohio, right across our border, they get a lot of reports, too. West, West uh, Virginia, Maryland, New York, and eastern the United States has an abundance of sightings that are still going on to this day. Um, but some active areas in the country that uh, repetitively have activity, of, like I mentioned earlier, Arkansas, Louisiana, uh, northeastern Texas, Oklahoma, that area in there, uh, seems to have an abundance of activity and a lot of reports coming in from um, the southern end of Florida um, and the Everglades. They've got the skunk ape, and there still seems to be activity in that area going on. Um, the Pacific Northwest, of course, you've got British Columbia, uh, Washington, Oregon, Northern California. They still get a lot of activity reported. And surprisingly, even in the Rocky Mountains uh, near Denver, Pikes Peak gets a lot of activity. So there's not really one particular place that has uh, more activity than the other, but there's there's several places that have uh, their share. And real quickly, for <laughs> anybody that, out, that is out there that may be a skeptic, tell us, why are we not finding uh, Bigfoot bodies? Why are we, you know, what... Why are we not finding remnants of these of these creatures if if they are all over the country, you know, if they live, they they're born, they die, why can't we find traces of them? Well, um, there's a couple reasons for that. Um, the, the most scientific reason for it is it's mentioned and brought up time and time again, even by biologists who start to get into this. When an animal dies in the wild, uh, Mother Nature has a phenomenal recycling um, system set up where within a week's period, a carcass is almost completely devoured. Um, once it decays, you've got uh, mice, porcupines, other predators that eat the bones, and they scatter them so far up apart that it's almost often difficult to really find uh, an intact carcass of a deer or a bear. So that's the, the main reason why we don't find anything. Um, Usually, within seven to ten days, a deer carcass, a 150, 200-pound deer carcass, is completely gone. If, if they weren't, we'd be tripping over deer every time we went into the woods. Um, another theory that is gaining kind of momentum, because there, there are primates that do this. They, they have a social order. Um, there are, there's talk that these primates um, or Bigfoot creatures may actually bury their dead. Uh, they may take them off into 
remote locations and dig shallow graves, bury the body, and then cover it up. Um, and the last theory that's talked about quite a bit is they have a tendency to be like an elephant. When they die, they go off into a, a deep, remote area and die in what could be considered an elephant graveyard. They just want to die in solitude and away from, you know, possible uh, encounters with men or, you know, something like that. So they go off far in the mountains to a remote area and they die. So there, there's a couple theories out there. Um, of course, we don't know for certain um, if those are true or not, but the one that the fact that the animals do decay pretty quickly in the woods, we do know that. Eric, if someone wanted to uh, get in touch with you or learn more about your organization, how would they do that? There's a couple ways. Um, we have a website uh, that we, um, we're trying to keep updated with the latest sighting reports and things that are going on, and that's uh, pabigfootsociety.com. Um, they can check out the website. It's got contact information. Um, I'm also on Facebook. Uh, we have a Facebook webpage, uh, Pennsylvania Bigfoot Society there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, a number of ways. Uh, just type up my name online, um, uh, any browser, and type in Bigfoot next to it. I pop up. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty easy to get a hold of me if you need to. Well, we appreciate you joining us. We're, we're out of time, but we, we really implore you to uh, get in touch with us next week after you have your investigation in Butler County and let us know what you've uncovered. Yeah, I definitely will give you a call and let you know. Nine, nine times out of ten we go out, we don't find anything. Um, nothing happens. But usually we get lucky and, and maybe have something strange happen. So definitely if we have something turn up, I'll give you a call and let you know. Terrific. Thanks so much for joining us, Eric. Thanks, Eric. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Eric Altman, director of the Pennsylvania Bigfoot Society. We're going to take a break. We'll be back with the members of Paracuse. We'll have a little more discussion about some ghost hunting. It's all right here on TAPS Paramagazine Radio on CNY Talk Radio. CNY Talk Radio. Taps Para Magazine Radio. Welcome back to our program. JV Johnson here along with Aaron Sagers and Stacy Jones. This is Taps Para Magazine Radio, your, your weekly broadcast into things unknown. We encourage you to uh, call us, 315-421-9325, or send an email. If you've got a question or a comment about the program, it's radio at tapsparamag.com. Radio at tapsparamag.com. We are uh, picking up uh, of our on our discussion with the members of the group Paracuse, a local uh, investigative group. Um, we would I would like to backtrack just a second about Eric Altman because we haven't had much of an opportunity in this program to talk about cryptozoology, but there are so many fascinating elements, and and that. 45 minutes that we had didn't really give us an opportunity to completely cover the the topic of Bigfoot alone, let alone the other many. Right, I agree. (laughs) I I totally agree. And um, I encourage everybody out there to visit um, Eric's page, PABigfootSociety.com, because uh, Eric Altman is one of those guys, I have a lot of respect for him because he doesn't take the, the cheap and easy bait. To say yes, it's Bigfoot. Yes, it's it's good evidence. Instead, he's always really trying hard to debunk. And as good investigators out there, like that's the way to go. And and I got I'm super fascinated by this investigation he's going on, which yeah. is not Bigfoot, but right. could be something else. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a pretty interesting description of that could sighting. Be an, it could be a whole new cryptozoology right. thing. I know. Right. Yeah. Well, Paracuse folks, Chad, Jeanette. Sharon, welcome back. I'm glad you guys were able to hang out and uh, join us again for another uh, segment. Stacy? Yeah, uh, I, I wanted to ask you guys, you said that you've gone to the Erie Mansion. Yes. What, what kind of evidence did you get there? Oh, Erie Mansion. Things oh. kind of snowballed that night, yeah, Sharon. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we had some great experiences. We were um, doing some dousing rods, and um, we had uh, a name spelled out for us. It was really interesting, and then we actually had, she was, uh, Jeanette was in another room. Uh, We kind of separated. Myself and another investigator, Justin, were in another room. Just to backtrack, too, Justin was a little on the fence about the dousing rods. Yeah, yeah, so we were kind of, you know, we're new to that. So um, come to find out, we sent, we were talking to a spirit, sent it over to where Jeanette was, just to mess around with her a little bit, and... um, 
What did you experience? Basically what happened, um, Sharon and Justin were in one room with a group of people, and I was down the hall. There's no way you can hear what was going on. You'd been there. Um, You know how far apart Mm -hmm. the rooms are. So I was in another room using my dousing rods, and I had a group of people in there with me. And I got a 24-year-old female coming through, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. loud and clear. So across the hall, here comes Sharon (laughs) and Justin, and he comes up to me, and he says, Hey, did you get anything? I said, Yeah, I got a 24-year-old female. His mouth hit the floor. We sent her over there. Apparently, that's what Sharon had gotten in wow. her room. <laughs> and they were joking around, said, go across the hall, and you know, lo go, and behold. Go scare her. So. And wow. then actually what ended up happening, too, though, we said, well, do something. You know, open a door, do something. Closet door and the attic door had both opened, and oh, they were both wow. shut. So those were, and, they, and we tried to debunk it, try to, you know, jimmy the door, you know, see if it was going to move. And it was stuck. It was a warped door. Mm. So it was neat. Also, back to EVPs, we were in there, um, Sharon, Justin, myself, doing dousing Mm -hmm. rods with a room full of people, and um, this is probably, was it right before Sharon or right after my hair was pulled? All within the same time, everything snowballed. Yeah, it was all around that time. And there was a group of people in the hallway who had come up, and um, we were doing the 95X... um, what was it, the haunted bus tour that night. So the same thing. We didn't expect to get anything because people were everywhere. And uh, Justin had just gone out into the hallway to get a group of stragglers because they shouldn't have been alone. And um, this is where I got a beautiful EVP. You hear um, Justin go out to the hallway and talk to the guy and say, hey, we need to get you out of here. Then all of a sudden you hear, he's drunk. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) definitely. Clear as day. Yeah, he's drunk. So, you know, and the guy clearly was. Hence, you know, it was a guy dressed up, the only one on the whole bus dressed up as a clown or something. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> green funky makeup. I think he was supposed to be Slash or something. I yeah. <laughs> and he was, he was, it was an investigation. It was just a, the bus tour wasn't an investigation. Basically, we had gone in there um, to try to do a little investigating, but on the notion that, hey, there's a lot of people, there's going right. to be a lot of contamination, yeah. and we, were, we got things we didn't expect to get, well, basically. Yeah. So next time you come on the program, which we'll have you back at some point, you have to bring some of these EVPs with you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. So, Chad, tell us, as tech manager, uh, there's a lot of, I don't, I don't know what you call them, I guess there, there's new equipment on the market. There are things yeah. being introduced, the Frank's box, uh, other things like that. What are you seeing that's exciting you? Um, I, I like the, uh, I've been playing around with a new app that I have. Um, I use uh, some software. It's uh, Dragon Naturally Speaking. And I hook up an external microphone to it, and it picks up, uh, like, speech. And then what we do is it, it translates it to text. When we were at the Homer Arts Center, I was in a, um, the hallway, and we had, we had it set up. I had it running through my cell phone, and nobody was in the hallway except me sitting there. And we picked up a couple names that said they were in the offices, and we couldn't get into the offices to investigate. And one of the names said, said something about a basement. So it's pretty it's pretty a neat app, you know. I'm gonna play with play around with it a little bit more. Um, I've tried some different things. I've tried uh, it's like a static electricity ball. You touch it and you know try to get a little energy into the air. Try to you know get something for them to feed off of. Um, didn't go so well. We had an EVP that said angry and hurt. Um, this was before I was with Scott's group. We had tried it, but I think I think that's a pretty interesting tool. I've seen some other groups use uh, what are they the Tesla the Tesla coils mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and the arc reactors, you know, I think that's a little, I, I, I played around with the idea with it, but I think it's a little too much because people can get hurt with them. So, you know, one of the things that, that we often talk about at the events when we, we host events is that the gadgets are great, but it's the eyes and the ears that are really going to mm-hmm. catch most of the activity. Do you mm-hmm. find that to be true? No doubt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and other than having your hair pulled or, or that type of thing, have, have you had any real good visual, not something you necessarily caught on film or camera, but just something you saw that really just, uh, you know, sent a shiver up your spine? Um, recently, where were we? We saw 1890 the, sh- house. the 1890 the house. Shadow. Three of us yeah. in the hallway. We Both were on of us. The, all three of us went. Boom. On the third we, floor. We all, I'll look to the left, and we just knew exactly. It was like a Scooby-Doo film. Boom, boom, boom. The heads <laughs> yeah. go in. I yeah. mean... All yeah. of us, yeah, definitely. Yeah. You notice all paranormal investigators use the Scooby-Doo Scooby reference. Well, why not? <laughs> and why not? Yeah, but what else do we have to reference that's to? That's true. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Ghostbusters, Scooby-Doo, and yeah. that's it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, playing off of that, I think a big part of this is, yes, we are searching for answers. Yes, we are, you know, we want to explore the unexplained, but there's also the roller coaster, you know, adrenaline rush aspect mm-hmm. to it. Has there been a moment you can talk about where you've gotten truly 
scared, you know, that that feeling in your gut like, oh, wow, this is freaky. And maybe you've even felt like you had to you had to leave. I mean, talk talk about the things that have really scared you. Um, for me, it would have been at the Erie Mansion. I was in the basement with with one of our investigators, Brendan, and we were sitting down there and it was it was pitch black. I mean, you couldn't see I couldn't see him. He couldn't see me. And we were about five feet away from each other. And suddenly I saw what looked like a white mist appear. And throughout the mist, all of a sudden it formed like, it looked like Spider-Man's webbing all throughout the room. Well, that sounds awesome. Yeah, so, yeah Spider-Man. <laughs> the is. ghost of Spider-Man. <laughs> and uh, I asked Brendan, I go, do you see this? And he's like, no, I, I can't see anything. He's like, I can't even see my hand in my face. And I'm like, well, I explained to him what I was seeing. And then suddenly I saw faces mixed throughout it and they were moving around. Well, as I could make out some of them, they weren't really, they didn't seem like human faces. Like they seemed almost angry. And I didn't say anything to anybody, and I kind of sat on it for for about a week or two. And then I sent Scott an email about it, and I actually took probably about a month or two off just because I needed to collect myself from it. I didn't really know what it was. Um, but he said we're going to definitely go back there again, and I definitely want to go back down there. Um, but I would say for me that was probably one of the one of the other one of the the biggest events for me. And an, an interesting side note to that is, you know, we talked about clients. You know, they they say. Um, you're going to think I'm crazy, and then they tell you mm-hmm. the story. It still happens with investigators. Even if you're a believer, you still have these things where you're like, I, am I crazy here? And mm-hmm. maybe I don't mm-hmm. want to share this with the rest of my group. Yeah. So that's a very interesting, normal reaction, I'm saying, uh, that you had. Uh, now, ladies, how about you? How about a moment where you were truly scared? I have to say, the only thing that really got me, I didn't see it personally, but it was a video we were shown, an actual oh, video. Yeah. We were at the Iron Island Museum, and um, we had Sharon and I were given the tour with another person. We had not been there before. The group had investigated there prior, and um, Sandy Barnes is one of the people that works there, and yeah. she was showing us, she was letting us hear EVPs that she had captured, which were phenomenal, and she, was, she did show us a video that she doesn't show everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, just the paranormal investigators that came in there. Cause it, it was, it was kind of creepy. It was down in the basement and they were holding an EVP session. They were recording it and there was a furnace behind someone. Um, it was almost like a brand new furnace. It reflected type like a mirror. And as you see her, the girl's face, I don't remember exactly the context of what they were talking about, but as you see her face make this certain change, like something's coming near her, you see this head pop in right behind her. Just like that. I know you can't see it on the air, but this head whipped in and whipped around, and you could make out eyes and nose and ears. I mean, it was like I'm looking at one of you. It was clear as day. I mean, it was pretty creepy. Sharon and I looked at each other and were like, oh. (laughs) Do we really want to do this? (laughs) And Iron Island, I mean, I've said before, is is one of those places. It's in Buffalo, one of those places I highly recommend people go check Mm -hmm. out. It is a small location. But uh, what uh, the activity more than makes up for the small size of the, absolutely. Of the location. Absolutely, absolutely. And Sharon, would you agree with that, or is oh, there another? Oh, I absolutely agree. No, no, that was a, that was a great experience. Yes. Yeah, that was definitely, and you know, going up in that attic, that was fun too. That yeah. was a little frightening, but what made it <laughs> frightening? Well, just knowing, you know, the history of it, and uh, we did see a few things, some orbs and some other things that we did see. And Some noises creaking. To put this into perspective, this mm-hmm. is the attic that on Ghost Hunters, um, at the time, you could not access the entire attic. Now you can walk up and like sit down in that mm-hmm. attic, yes. but at the time, yeah. all you could do was just pop your head up into the crawl yeah. space there, which is what Grant Wilson did, and something charged him. And mm-hmm. he about <laughs> fell down the, yeah. the ladder there. Yeah. So, yeah, it is a little intense up yeah, there. Yeah, it is pretty intense, yeah. You're listening to Taps Paramagazine Radio on CNY Talk Radio. We'll take a break. We've got a few more minutes with the folks from Paracuse. You stay tuned. Taps Paramagazine Radio on CNY Talk Radio. Taps Paramagazine Radio continues on CNY Talk Radio. Welcome back to the program, and thanks for joining us tonight. We actually uh, appreciate you coming along and continue to listen to CNY Talk Radio in uh, upcoming Saturdays. We've got a great slate of guests lined up for you over the coming weeks. We're still talking with um, members of the local paranormal group Paracuse, and also um, Scott Clark, the founder of the group, has rejoined us. Scott, I'm glad it wasn't, um, well, I'm hoping anyway, it wasn't anything too serious that took you away from us last time. No, it wasn't. There was, um, I swear to God, there's a full moon out here. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but 
but no, it wasn't anything too bad. That's good. I'm, we're about to wrap up. We've got about five minutes left, and I've got a question for you and all of the members of the group, and I'm not looking for a TAPS-related answer here, so feel free to answer honestly. But um, as someone who is a paranormal investigator, what, what paranormal television do you watch and do you like? You want me to go first? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. I, um, I, I, you know, it's like watching the old Law and Order. You just can't get away from Ghost Hunters. You know, it's consistent. It's, uh, I, I still enjoy that very much. I really, uh, really do enjoy uh, Ghost Adventures for a different reason. I like the fact that they're, um, they're always trying different things. They're uh, very upfront, uh, and then you can't beat uh, watching uh, Aaron uh, and his uh, reactions and uh, how true they are. Uh, because if you ever went on an investigation with us, you'd see Jeanette and Sharon act that same way. <laughs> and we have another member, Rhonda. She's the same way, too. I mean, when she's, uh, it's, it's better than any electronic piece of equipment that we got out there. You know, you know that they came across stuff. Um, those are the two shows that uh, I, I really do enjoy. The other ones, you know, I watch, but... Um, it's more to kind of see what they're doing and, uh, you know, if there's anything new out there that we should be trying. But when it comes to equipment and stuff like that, I don't really worry about it because, I mean, Chad has only scratched the surface of what this guy can do. He's not going to blow his own horn, but I'll blow it for him. That guy, he get inside his head after the show and he talks to him. It's a good he's thing he can't hear you right now because we wouldn't be able to get him out of the room. His head <laughs> oh, would be God. too swollen. Yeah, he's, um, he's, uh, he's got a lot of great ideas and uh, really looking forward to one of the things that he's going to be coming up with. So, but yeah, those are the shows that I like. Great. To watch. Chad, Chad uh, you obviously didn't couldn't hear uh, based on the uh, limitations of the studio here, but what what Scott was just saying. But tell us what you like in paranormal television. Um, I like to watch uh, Destination Truth, uh, Ghost Hunters. You know, Ghost Hunters probably got me started in it. Um, I like the the tango and the the Steve the Steve aspect of it. You know, it's a little more, you know, off the the, the straight path, and it kind of keeps you, you know. You, you gotta be, you gotta stay uh, light-minded in the whole thing because if you get too into it, you can get too 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 drawn into it. And I like their, you know, they they kind of bring a little bit more of a not so serious, but it is, you know, it's a serious field. But mm -hmm. when the time allows it, you can kind of lay back a little bit. Jeanette, I gotta say, I do like the Ghost Hunters. I like how they try to debunk things. That's what I'm a biggest fan of because obviously, if it's not paranormal, don't make it paranormal. And mm -hmm. I like the haunting on Animal Planet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Sharon. Ghost hunters too. <laughs> well, Love you know, ghost someone, someone, that's what got me started. Someone, someone once said ghost hunters took uh, paranormal and took it from backroom closet talk yes. and brought it to the to Absolutely. the dining room table. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think Absolutely. it was Aaron that said that actually. I may have. Yeah. yeah. It sounds smart. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> so Scott, what's what's coming up for the group? Anything you can share with us? Um, yeah, we're actually going to be revisiting a lot of. Uh, uh, older locations that we have gone to, uh, just because uh, one of the things that we do too is we're, we, uh, because of the budget constraints for a lot of places, if they do have paranormal type activity, what we're going to do is we, we go through, we're going to collect evidence, and we're going to help uh, these places uh, use the, uh, the fact that they have paranormal activity as a fundraiser. And uh, so we'll be um, reintroducing ourselves to a lot of these other locations just so that we can collect more evidence and put on a a better program for them and uh, to help them financially. So these, uh, mostly it's museums. That's how they can exist. Yeah, that's one of the things that is kind of a, an, an unanticipated benefit of this interest in paranormals, that it's been able to generate some much-needed cash for historic locations, places that had been shuttered or, or on the verge of being torn down, for that matter, and um, it's gen generated a revenue stream for them to allow them to exist and renovate and remain open. Yep, and that's true. And uh, our team is uh, is just gun ho to do things like that. Uh, it's probably you know some of the most giving and caring people I've ever worked with in my entire life. And this is somebody who's been in the fire and EMS services for 30 years. I mean, you, you just see it in this group, and uh, I'm so proud to be working with them all. I'm going to go around the rest of the group. We only have about a minute left, and I'm just going to ask them each to give a piece of advice, and you can go last as to what they would recommend for someone who is new to the field or wants to get into the field. Chad? Um, I'd say real quick, uh, if, if you're looking to get into it, you know, there's no better time. You know, do your research before you join a group. There's a lot of groups out there. There's a lot of good groups. There's a lot of groups that, you know, that that aren't so well. Um, you know, there's our group. There's Stacy Jones's group. Um, 
just just make sure you know you, you do a little bit of research before you go headstrong into a group you know the one thing i'd like to say too is not each group is not set for each person go visit the groups and find the one that's going to be best for you Jeanette? I'd have to say keep a positive attitude. You bring negative attitudes, you're going to get negative energy. So keep it positive. Yep, keep yourself grounded and, you know, just, you know, do your research. You know, find what you like. Scott? Be careful. There's too many people out there that just kind of go and shoot off the hip because they saw it on TV and they think that's the way to do it. And uh, you, you can get yourself in a heap of a mess this year. If you're not careful, we've actually had to uh, bail out other groups. And, uh, you know, just like I say, be careful. we got about 30 seconds left. Scott, once again, remind folks if they have an interest in contacting you or the group, how they do that. Uh, on our website, www.paracuse.net, uh, all of our contact information is right there on the front page. There's two different phone numbers for you to call. Call, send us an email. We'll get back to you. We're very busy. Um, answering emails all the time so just be patient if it takes a couple days scott chad jeanette sharon thanks so much for joining us tonight we appreciate you being on the program thanks for having us Thank you. you've been listening to taps para magazine radio on cny talk radio join us next week we'll be here same time same station with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case i pronounce you lucky Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.